This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. I'm crazy grateful for all of you who subscribe, share, and leave reviews. If this is your first time, welcome to the Elevate community. Like our home church, Living Word, I and the Elevate leaders work as hard as we can to build an atmosphere of love to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. It would mean the world to us if you helped us get the word out by sharing this episode on social media. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate, visit us at iloveelevate.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for everything you do, which brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. This is the final week in our series on the attributes of God. I'm going to be sorry to see it go. This has like been one of my very favorite series to study God himself. Not just the works of God, not just what he has taught us in his word, but to study the very person and character of God has been mind-expanding. It has been mind-blowing for me. I hope that you've enjoyed this journey with me. Whenever we study God, we get this higher view of him, and when we have a high view of God, it gives us a very low view of ourselves, right? It humbles us. It changes us. It shows our, in perspective how great, how much of a ruler he is, how loving he is, how powerful he is, and how much we bring to the table, which is pretty little. Thank God that he is the one who empowers. He's the one who gives love. He is the one that gives faith. What a God we serve. And we stand in awe of him, and we cry out, just like the psalmist in Psalm 113, 5-6, His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? Every week I've quoted this, and it's so true. It's A.W. Tozer who says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because what we believe about God will structure the rest of our lives. It will form the words that we say, the thoughts that we think, the actions that we take. It will even form the very purpose and direction of our lives. And I hope, like me, you've been forced to wrestle with your outlook on life a little bit over these past weeks. If this is your first or second or only third week out of the 14, I'd love for you to get onto the podcast You can get on to either Elevate Student Ministry or you can go to Apple Podcasts and you can check out the others in the series. I hope that every one of them blesses your heart. We have studied that God is both creative and he is a God of aseity, which means that he is self-existent. He doesn't depend on anyone. That he is omniscient. He holds all knowledge. He is omnipresent. He is at every point in the universe at the same time. He is omnipotent. He holds all power. He is sovereign. He is in complete control of everything that goes on in his creation. He is Trinity. He is the three but perfectly one God at the same time. He is a God of jealousy, love, holiness, justice, wrath, truthfulness, wisdom, goodness, grace. He is incomprehensible. And tonight we are studying his immutability, the fact and the beauty that he does not change. And all of those attributes that we just listed will not change. They are the same at creation 
as they were in the biblical times, as they are today, as they will be thousands of years from now, his attributes remain the same. And each of those attributes is inseparably connected with one another. They're woven together in perfect unity because they are all a single quality, a single attribute, and that is the attribute of Godness, which only he holds. I love what M. Barrett says. He says that God is maximally alive. He is his attributes in infinite measure. We are looking at his immutability, that he does not change. Three years ago, my wife and I finally gave up this ugly brown couch that she had had since before she was born that her parents gave to us and traveled all over the country. We bought this really nice gray couch. It's microfiber. It reclines into almost like a sleeping position. It's like a cloud. And thank God we bought the warranty on it because we had it only a couple of weeks when my kids broke the back of it. It has been covered in food and drink, in, in spit and vomit and pee in every possible human bodily fluid has offended this couch in the couple of years that we've had it. This couch is not the same as when we bought it. It doesn't smell as nice. It doesn't look as nice. It leans, it squeaks, it moans at you. Isn't that true of everything? Everything that we have ever seen changes. It ages and mostly not for the, not for the better. Everything breaks, everything dissolves. And even if it is changing, it will eventually take a turn towards dissolving and breaking and falling apart. There's like a law. What's that law? Man, the law of entropy. Yes! boy. the law of entropy. Everything is decomposing and breaking apart. But let's compare what we know against who God is. Psalm 103, 15 through 18. As for man, let's compare. As for man... His days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. Everybody bought your mom flowers or bought someone flowers. They're like so pretty for a few days. And then like, right? Petals fall over. They turn brown. The water gets murky. It's nasty. For the wind passes over this grass and these flowers and they're gone. And its place knows it no more. So where that flower was, doesn't even remember that a flower existed there. But... The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting on that direction of the timeline to everlasting on that direction of the timeline to those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. God is a generational God. He's already knows the next generation in your life and their kids and their kids and their kids. And he works on this big scale. And to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. We are temporary versus God's infinity. We are mutable. He is immutable. Some of you guys have little sisters that you wish were mutable. Would they just be quiet? Mute. But that's not what this is talking about. God is free from all change. He exists eternally without development or degradation. All of his attributes are defined by his immutability. He is unchangingly wise. His justice is unchanging. His wrath against sin is unchanging. His power is unchanging. Everything about him doesn't change. He is eternally perfect. So for him to change would be to lose perfection. 
Because if he was to change to be better, then he wasn't perfect before. You follow me? If he was to become less knowledgeable, then he would lose perfection. If he was to gain knowledge, that would mean that he wasn't perfect before. So nothing surprises him. Nothing's out of the new. He is perfect in all of his ways. Time prompts change, but God is outside of time. He is from everlasting to everlasting. New knowledge leads to change, but he is omniscient. Movement causes change, but he is already everywhere present. Fluctuating power. If you had a remote control car, watch that sucker die. It causes change, but God is all-powerful. He is all-changing in his character, his word, and in his plans. Let's look at his character. I like what one theologian, A.W. Pink, says about God. He says, He is immutable in all of his attributes. Whatever the attributes were of God when the universe was called into existence, they are precisely the same now and will remain so forever. And he uses a Latin phrase, semper idem, always the same. And it is written across all of his attributes. James 1.17, James calls God the father of lights with whom there is no variation. There is no change or shadow due to changing. We should praise a God who is stable. We should praise a God who doesn't change, who we can stand on as a rock, who says it and it's done and that doesn't change. That's the kind of God that we can stand in awe of. That's the kind of God we can trust. Because there's no one else in our lives that we can trust like that. That their word is always solid. That who they are will always be granite, rock. There's no one else in our lives like that. God's every attitude, his emotion, is perfect for every situation. It is good, it is righteous, it is appropriate to everything that will go on in history. It is consistent with his character. He doesn't have good days. God doesn't have bad days. He doesn't get hangry. He doesn't change. He is consistent. He's so different from us. Was God loving when he spoke creation into existence? Absolutely. He took chaos and created order, and it was out of his love that he formed man and pressed on man his own fingertip or his own fingerprint called his likeness. It was out of love that he did this. Was God wise when he commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Yes, because whenever he held back the knife from Abraham stabbing Isaac and sacrificing him, it lays out a picture of the coming cross where Isaac carried the wood to his sacrifice, Jesus would carry his cross. It would be on a hill with an eye shot of that same hill of sacrifice that Jesus would die on the cross perfectly on the anniversary of that near sacrifice of Isaac. Was God wise when he called Abraham to this? Was God faithful when he allowed Jacob's family to become enslaved in Egypt? Whenever they were running away from a famine and tried to hide out in Egypt as a place of safety where there was food and water and became slaves? Yes. Because it was out of God's faithfulness that 72 went to Egypt and he promised Jacob that his descendants would be like the stars in the sky. And it was his faithfulness that when God led them out of Egypt, there was two to three million of them, and he kept his promises. 
God's attributes were the same at creation. They were the same in the Old Testament. They were the same in the New Testament. They're the same in 2021. And they will be the same a hundred generations from now when our kids and our grandkids, etc., don't even remember our names anymore. When our tombstones have dissolved into dust, our God will be yet the same. He will be just as loving, just as wise, just as faithful. That is who our God is. Psalm 102, 25-28. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. The heavens and the earth, they will perish. They're going to end. But you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like your clothes are going to wear out eventually. You will change them like a robe. To God, the coming and ending of the universe he created is like us changing clothes. That is how eternal he is. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. Who is this God that we serve? Who is this God that is unchanging in all of his ways, in all of his attributes? Doesn't this add another layer of meaning to the name that he gave Moses? When Moses says, who am I supposed to say send me? What is your name? And God calls himself, I am that I am. I exist. I exist. I am that I am. This concept, look at all these idols in Egypt. None of them exist. They're hollow. They're empty. They have no breath. They have no ears. But I am. Who am I? That I am. Doesn't this add another layer? Because if you go back to the beginning of time, he is already I am. And if you go to the end of time, he is still the great I am. And he's still right now I am. His name represents his character of being eternal. Wherever you slide on the timeline, he is, at that moment, the great I am. Psalm 103, the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. There can no exist no other God but him. If God is infinite, there's no room for a second. He takes up all the space. He is infinite. There can be no other God beside him. No other God could rival him for power or position. Therefore, think about this. Think about what the writer of Hebrews says about Jesus. It's Hebrews 13, 9 through 7. I'm just going to read a snippet. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What claim is he making about Jesus? What claim is he making about this guy who walked on earth and died a brutal death? Our Hebrews author is making the bold, unflinching statement that Jesus Christ is the great I am. That Jesus Christ was there before time existed as the word, a part of the triune God. And he will, long after this is over, still be God, the great I am. But as we move on from looking at his character being unchanging, I don't want to stop, or I don't want to move on without stopping for a second to consider one of the attributes of God that is so beautiful. And that is, Not just his love is unchanging, but the objects of his love are unchanging. The direction that his love is pointed when he takes the spotlight of his care and attention, who he shines it on is also immutable. And he shines it on you. He shines it on his people. Those he called to be his. Those who have turned with their own hearts in faith 
They call on him as their Lord. His love for you is unchanging. Consider this. A woman went up to a preacher. Uh, His name was Newton. And she said to him, she said, I don't want to get the quote wrong, but it's just so beautiful. She says, the Lord must have loved me before I was born or else he would have not seen anything in me to love afterwards. Isn't that so true? What have we ever done to earn God's love? No, his love for you was from before time had been created. So what will you do in your lifetime if by good works you didn't earn his love since you weren't around to earn his love? What could you do to slip out of the hands of God through messing up and your mistakes? He loved you before your good works. Could your bad works cancel his love? What a consistent, beautiful, rock-solid, loving God. That's the God that we serve. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness is to all generations. Psalm 105. Jeremiah 31, 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Wow. God is unchanging in his character. Number two. God is unchanging in his word. God's word will never be altered. It will never fail to come to pass. With every covenant he makes, with every promise that he stands by, it will always be held up without wavering. With every word he speaks, whether it's self-revelation or a promise, it is immutable. He is unchanging in his word. I love what Hebrews 6, 17 through 18 says. He, this writer of Hebrews is, is encouraging Christian believers who are being hardcore persecuted. And he's saying, hang in there to the end. Don't give up. So he's talking about the promises of God are stable. And let's, I wish we had our slides. Try to lean in, pay attention. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. So he's trying to convince his own people something. He's trying to convince them. And he says, to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose God's saying, I want you to know my purpose is not going to change. Hang in there with me. He guaranteed it with an oath that by two unchangeable things, two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge or running for refuge to get away from persecution, we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And if you study this out, those two immutable things are one, they are his character, and they are his promises. His word is unchanging. Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Psalm 119, 89 through 90 and 160, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. As in a metaphor might be, everything that you say is chiseled in stone on the walls of heaven for all to see, and it's not going anywhere. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth and it stands fast. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. The theologian A.W. Tozer lays out a really interesting argument. Tozer believes 
that when God speaks, his spoken voice lasts for eternity, as eternal as he is. If I was to say something right now, like, my dog is awesome. When I put the period at the end of my sentence, you no longer hear my voice. It's over. But when God speaks, what he speaks is as true as he is. The word of his voice is eternal. So everything he has spoken continues to be speaking. So what's between the covers of your Bible, when the ink dried, God didn't stop saying it. What's between the covers of your Bible has power because it is the direct words, a reflection of God's continuing voice of every truth, of every promise, of every self-revelation of who he is. He says this, the prophets habitually say, thus says the Lord. They meant their hearers to understand that God's speaking is in the continuous present. We may use past tense properly to indicate that at a certain time, a certain word of God was spoken, but a word of God once spoken continues to be spoken as a child once born continues to be alive. God's word is immutable. And there's two aspects of this I want to look at. His word is immutable about what he says concerning sin and those who choose sin over him. And it's scary. His word is unchanging towards those who reject him. John 3.18, Jesus is speaking. Whoever believes in him, talking about Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Holy Son of God. The word condemned is not a passive word. It's not static. The word condemned means that God's actively wrathful. He is actively against somebody. And this rolls over into eternity as in actively pouring out his wrath for eternity in hell. This is not a soft thing to say. This isn't Jesus saying like God's over here and they trip in a hole over there. This is God pouring out his wrath continuously against those who would choose their sin and idols over him. Already condemned means that unless they turn, his righteous judgment against them is already happening and in continuation. Mark 16, 6, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. God speaks clearly about sin. How often is it that we do what we want to do and we hope that God doesn't take his own word seriously? All the time. I know that God is perfectly holy. He calls me to be holy. And I still sort of toy with sin just a little bit. Not that much. Just a little. And I expect a God of immutable word to not hold me accountable for the very things he has spoken. A God of perfect righteousness takes himself very seriously. And takes his word very seriously. Charles Spurgeon says, and I quote, God is unchanging in his threatenings. Beware, O sinner, for it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. His word is immutable towards unbelievers. That's scary. All right. 
His word is immutable towards those who call on him and believe. All of his promises will come to pass for his people. We can take it to the bank. Promises like, I will give you strength. I will be with you and never leave you. I will always hear you. I will give you peace. I will lead you. I will care for your daily needs. I love what the psalmist says. He says, I used to be young. Now I'm old. And in this long period of time, I have never seen the children of the righteous go hungry. God will always take care of those who call on him as Lord. I will always love you. I will work everything out for the good of those who love me. These are promises that we can take to the bank that stand forever. Levi, you with me taking notes? Awesome. His promises for believers are unchanging even, even when we mess up big time. His promises stay the same. Malachi 3.6. God is talking to his people. They're represented by, uh, by Jacob's family. And God has laid out blessings and curses. If you will serve me, you will have these blessings. If you reject me, here are the curses. And it's not pretty. But God promises them that he will always be in covenant with them and that no matter what, they will be his people. And right now, they have been in hardcore disobedience, running from God. And this is what God says. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you're not consumed. Because I'm keeping my promises, you and your abject sin, I'm still pursuing you. I still haven't given up on you. You're going to feel the consequences of your own sin. You're going to feel the weight of what you've done, but I'm not letting you go. I'm going to keep coming for you. I'm going to keep pursuing you. I still love you, and my love is still after you. Out of his great love, he is a God of mercy and grace. Every promise is a rock that we can stand on with confidence. Whether it's science or philosophy or law or secular ethics or history, all of these are, are, all they're, are changing. They're in flux. They're always uncovering something new that changes what we see about history, science, or philosophy. They will never rest as being complete and settled. How beautiful is a study of God's word that never changes, that never fluctuates, that a thousand years ago held the same relevance to them as it holds to me now, and a thousand years from now will be just as relevant. That will not change. It's always consistent, permanent, and it will not fail to reveal our loving creator. Every word of God is eternal and immutable. God is immutable in his character. He's immutable in his word. And third, he is immutable, unchanging in his plans. God's will is eternal. It's fixed and it's inevitable. All of his sovereign plans are immutable. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man. Oh, I've got plans. I know exactly what my day is going to look at like when I wake up. I've got the next year or so pretty much figured out. But the purpose of the Lord, that will stand. Oh, yeah, I might have a flat tire going home tonight. Something terrible might happen in the next year or so. Who knows what could happen? But what God plans will always be consistent. Numbers 23.19 God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and he will not do? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? 
Spurgeon again. God is a mastermind. He arranged everything in his gigantic intellect long before he did it. And once having settled it, he never alters it. This will be done, he says, and the iron hand of destiny marks it down and it's brought to pass. This is my purpose, and it stands, and heaven and hell cannot alter it. Isaiah 46, 9, I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times of things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purposes. But what about the, the greatest blight in all of history? When the perfect, sinless, holy, innocent Son of God was tortured and beaten and executed. Did you see that one coming, God? How'd that work? Acts 4.27 makes it clear that everything along the way that happened in Jesus' passion was not only predestined by God, but it was actually God's hand that led it to happen. John 10, 17 through 18, Jesus says this about himself. I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up. That's the God that we serve. What about God's plans for us? When we have things figured out and all of our plans fall apart, man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Man, I plan my way so often and it blows up. Can we take confidence in God's plans for us? Romans 8, 28. I hope you have this memorized by now. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean everything will go easy. Because God's purpose is not for you to float through life. His purpose is to mold you and form you into the image of his son Jesus. To sanctify us with his chisel and his hammer. And he's chipping away. And he uses our life circumstances to do the chiseling. James 1, 2-4 Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that what God is at work. You know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Can we trust God's plans for our life? Yes. We can trust that in the molding, in the shaping, in the chiseling, God has his best for us. Jeremiah 29, 11 for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. God's plan for you and me is immutable. And it's unstoppable. So here's a couple questions that are brought up with the topic of immutability. And you know what? I don't have all the answers. I'll just lay that out right now. But I'll give you some thoughts from people smarter than me. And you can chew on it a little bit. If God is immutable and his character is unchanging, if his word is unchanging and his plans are unchanging, then what is the role of prayer? 
What is the effect of prayer? If God already has his plans, he knows what he's going to do. And his plans are perfect. How do we wrestle with that? With an immutable God. I'll give you two examples that I think are really cool from the Bible. And there's other examples that you can look at and we can study those together. Oh man, come up afterwards. Let's wrestle with this stuff. But two stories I'd like to tell you. One is very brief. You know the story of Jonah, right? He runs from God because God wants him to go to the city of Nineveh. A horrible, terrible city. You look at it in history and it's brutal, disgustingly brutal. And so he doesn't want to go, right? And God says, Jonah, go tell them in 40 days, I'm wiping them out. They'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah, no more. Jonah runs. God brings Jonah back. God's so funny. Jonah's like, no. And God's like, you're so cute. Come back here. Jonah goes walking through the city, and Jonah's message is not repent. Jonah's message is God is about to clean house and your house. Forty days, that's all you've got left. And the city, from the king to its people to the animals, repent in response to Jonah's message. So God's plan was, I'm wiping them out. There was Nineveh, smite button, there's no more Nineveh. And God changed his mind. But take a look. Jeremiah had already spoken this. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 8. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck it up and break it down and destroy it, if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent the disaster I intended to do to it. So in God seemingly changing his mind towards Nineveh, he is consistent with his character. He's consistent with his word. Therefore, he's consistent with his plans. Another one is the story of Hezekiah in 2 Kings 20. Hezekiah walked and followed God throughout his time as king, and then he kind of blew it. And he gets sick. And God sends the prophet Isaiah to go to Hezekiah's palace, walk in and give Hezekiah the great news. Hezekiah, get your house in order. You're going to die. God said so. And he turns around and leaves the room. Hezekiah, as Isaiah is leaving, hits his knees and begs God to spare his life. And scripture says that Isaiah didn't even get out through the court of the house when God speaks to him again and says, go back and talk to him again and tell him I'm giving him 15 more years of life. So Isaiah gets to go in and give him the news. 15 more years, king. So did God change his mind in response to Hezekiah's prayer? You ready for this? This is so cool. Hezekiah is not an unimportant character in Scripture. God had promised his great, 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 great granddaddy, David, the man after God's heart. He promised David, through your line, I'm going to bring the Messiah. I'm going to bring the king that rules eternally. He will sit on your throne, David. And it was David's successors that we follow the line that is going towards Jesus. Hezekiah is a a link in this line as is his son Manasseh. Check this out. This is at the end of chapter 20 in the first verse of 21. And Hezekiah 
slept with his fathers. He died after the 15 years. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Do the math. Had Hezekiah died, would Manasseh have ever been born? Because 15 minus 12 equals 3. He was born three years into these grace years that God gave him, which means God had preordained that Jesus was going to come through Manasseh, through Hezekiah. And so whenever he spoke through Isaiah, it was with a but. You're going to die. But I've got plans. I've got plans for good, to prosper you and all the nations of the earth because through you, my plan is bigger than just what's going on today. What a God we serve. So what is the role of prayer? When we come to God, if God's plans are immutable. Prayer is for our benefit. Consider Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is about to go to his passion, betrayed and tortured. And Jesus prays. Does Jesus change the heart of God? Does he change the plans of God, I guess is the better question? Jesus closes his prayer with, not my will. Your plans, your will, your purposes be done. You see, I don't think Jesus was trying to bend the Father's arm. Jesus is coming underneath the immutable plans and purposes of God. That's prayer. When we come to God with a heart of, Lord, here's my request, not my will. Your will be done. Look what, look what John says in 1 John. He says in chapter 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So our prayers, what, what is God's will? That we're submissive, not manipulative in our prayers. When we come to God going, God, here's my request. Please, 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 please. I want to bend your arm. I really want what I want. No, no, no. I really got to, I see how this works out. I see how if this person lives or this person's healed or if I get this car, or if I get this job or if I have this kind of wife or this kind of husband, I see how it all works out and it all works out great, God. Don't you see my plan? But if we come to God with our requests, his will is that we will, instead of being manipulative, we become, like Jesus, submissive. Lord, here's, here's, what I, here's what I see, but not my will, your will be done. I will come under, I will serve under your immutable character, word, and plans. God's immutability gives us peace. It should. It should give us rest because the Lord Almighty is unchanging. He is trustworthy. He is not a man that he can lie. He's not a son of man that he changes his mind. Everything around us will change. My couch will continue to get terrible. Everything around us will change. My back's going to hurt more as I get older. Everything. When you walk through a cemetery and you see the dates, 
you have to realize that most of them are older than we are, right? Some of them not. That's sad. Most of them are older, but but every one of them at some point was our age and thought about life the way we do. Oh, there's so much left of it. Oh, man, hopefully everything will go my way. And yet every one of those people that thought just like you think and I think are there in the grave, gone. Dust. Everything around us changes, but we can rest in the arms of an unchangeable God. This gives us security. And it also has implications. Matthew 6, 19. Look at this in the, in the scope of immutability. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Stop chasing Stuff that doesn't last. Stop pursuing and throwing yourself, sacrificing who you are, giving yourself away for things that are temporary, empty, that will be gone. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither rust or moth destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Pursue something eternal, something that's lasting, something that goes to heaven with you. They could bury you with all your stuff. still doesn't matter. You're just pre-dust. I just made that up. Invest in something that lasts. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Is the treasure that you invest in temporal or is it eternal? Is it mutable or is it immutable? This should put a whole new meaning. All right, recap. Everything in creation is in flux. God is unchanging in his character, his word, and his plans. And all three of these perfectly reflect every attribute that we have studied. In character, his love for his people is never changing, even when we fail. In word, his promises and self-revelation are true and reliable. They're true for the wicked, and they're true for his people. In plans, all his purposes to do are unstoppable. Nothing is outside of his sovereign will. Prayer is submission, not manipulation. He is completely trustworthy, and we can rest because he's immutable. And if you want to study this more, I want to ask you a question that I'm not going to answer. Here's another question for you to go and research on your own. If God is immutable, is he impassable? I-M-P-A-S-S-I-B-L-E. Do God's emotions change? Can he suffer? Do what we do or what happens here affect God? Go study it out. So here's your challenges for the coming weeks. Challenge number one, consider three things in your life that you spend the most amount of time on. If you're to look at your time in a week, where do most of your hours go? What are the top three things that eat up your hours? Write them down. Then take a minute or two and consider how much value do these have in heaven?
Flip side. What are the three things in your life which have the greatest value in heaven? What are they? What are they? What, are, what has the highest value? What is eternal in your life? What are the top three things you can think of? Write those down. How can you invest more in those this week? Maybe grab some of your time, treasure, and talent from over here that isn't investing in heavenly things and maybe put it over here in those things that you do see that are lasting. Heavenly Father, Lord, I open with with asking forgiveness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for every prayer that I've made that is more about swaying you to my thinking than it is submitting to your perfect, loving, good will. I'm sorry, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to be more humble, to be more trusting, to walk in faith with my prayers. Lord, empower men and women of God in this room to follow you with a correct view of who you are in all your attributes. Let this series plant seeds in us that last forever. As we close out this series tonight, let this be what we take home. Let it be the lens that we, that we read Scripture through. Lord, instead of just being a new lens, let it remove some dirty lenses that we used to have where we see you more clearly, where we read scripture more vibrantly because we're taking into account who you are, the God who gave us your word, your eternal word that is continuously speaking. Oh, Lord, that we might chase you and follow you. Lord, that our perspective of you may be right because it will affect everything. Lord, if there's, if there's something we can't get wrong, it's this, it's who you are. Lord, that there would be men and women in this room that would run hard for you, that would be willing to let go of everything for themselves and follow you, to lay down their own lives for what is, their lives that are temporal for what is eternal. Please, Lord, may we store treasure in you and stop worshiping ourselves with the emptiness that this world, this very temporary world offers. Oh, Heavenly Father, when the tombstones of everyone in this room have decayed to dust, may we be eternally already in your arms. Thank you that your love is eternal. We give you tonight. We give you our hearts. And if there's anyone in here that has not called on you as their Lord, who has believed in their heart, that you died for them, that you rose from the grave through your own power because you are God. Lord, call them. Prick their hearts. Draw them. Let them spend every day for the rest of their lives and all of eternity with you, the loving God who is unchanging. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Episodes are recorded every Wednesday at Elevate Student Ministry. All students, 7th through 12th grades, are welcome.